How are we doing today? Good. Absolutely fantastic day. Yes? Absolutely. Good day to be alive, right? Uh, good day to be with you to share from God's Word. I'm excited about this. I really am. I'll begin by uh, asking you guys a question. You guys know I like to ask questions. Um, and my question is this. How many of you like music? Music? Fans of music? Okay, most people. Uh, what's your favorite genre? Anything, anybody? Nobody, everybody likes music, but nobody likes, knows what kind they like. Okay, okay. I like both kinds, country and western. That's an old Blues Brothers movie reference. But honestly, and I heard someone say this, I am a classic rock guy. I grew up with the music of the 70s, the six, late 60s, 70s, 80s, I don't know. I think music got a little sideways in the 80s, but there was probably some good stuff that came out of that. Regardless of the type of music that you like, or really the era in which you grew up, you've probably heard of a little band from Liverpool, England, the Beatles, absolutely. Has anyone not heard of the Beatles? Me, okay. Um, the Beatles, arguably one of the most influential bands of all time. Music is still popular today. And there's one song in particular that, that kind of I enjoy. And ironically, it was one of the last, it was the last song that they recorded. And it's a song called I, Me, Mine. You might know it. All through the night, I'm in mine, I'm in mine, I'm in mine. Sorry, I, you're lucky I didn't grab my guitar and play the whole thing. But in the 1970, the band was breaking up. And really, what was happening is that the band members, they were all growing apart. It became very apparent that they were looking for different things out of life. No longer was it about the band, it was about the individual and the individual desires. It was about self. And George Harrison saw this and he wrote this song. But you know, Harrison also saw this as a comment on society in general as well. And if we're honest, we're honest, we will have to admit that humanity is by and large Selfish. We're selfish beings. I see it in me. I do. I admit it. I am by nature selfish. We all are. Yes, we overcome it, right? Some more regularly than others. But our nature is selfish. Harrison saw this in 1970. Has anything really changed? You know, has the world suddenly become much more giving? Eh, you might want to argue, yeah, maybe. But you know what? I, me, mine still sums up our human nature. And this is nothing new. This has been going on since the beginning of time, right? In the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, selfishly, they wanted to be like God, right? They wanted to know what God knew. They wanted to be 
God, I, me, mine. We know it's our nature because we see it in children, illustrated perfectly. What's one of the first words that children learn, especially when it comes to toys and playing with other kids? Mine, right? Mine, mine, mine. Everything is mine. And parents don't teach them this, at least not overtly. You're absolutely right. And most parents don't teach them that. What they try to teach them is sharing, right? But selfishness is our nature. We want to have for ourselves. We want to hoard what we have and protect it. That's our nature. Unfortunately, that's the way many Christians approach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, they say, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm good. I go to church on Sunday. I, me, mine. But the Apostle Paul is going to tell us this morning, that is not how it's supposed to be. Friends, the gospel is to be shared. So today we continue in our study on the book of Colossians. And, and I hope and I pray, friends, that this has been enlightening to this point. I hope that we have been growing in our knowledge of God, right? And that's our goal, that's our objective, is to grow in the knowledge of God and to have that knowledge, right, that knowledge work in our minds and work in our hearts to what? Change us, right? We want the knowledge of God to change us, to transform us. Now, the last two weeks, we've been learning how the nature of, about the nature of Christ and who he is and how that nature transforms us inwardly inwardly as we put off the old right we put off the old uniform we put on the new uniform that identifies us as followers of jesus christ and it changes the way we look when we submit to the supremacy and the sufficiency of christ we cannot stay the same we are transformed right transformed by the renewing of our minds transformed by the knowledge of god so not only have we learned how living in Christ transforms us inwardly, Paul has also made it clear that we are transformed relationally as well, right? How we interact with others. It changes. The truth of the gospel transforms our relationships, in particular with fellow believers, right? The last couple of weeks we've seen Paul talking about how we relate to fellow believers, and he's also talked about how it transforms the way we relate within family. Remember, we talked about wives, husbands, children, fathers. See, when we submit to the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, we change inwardly and in our relationships. And now what Paul is going to show us is that this gospel that changes us inwardly, it also moves us to share. And this relates back to the beginning of chapter 3. We've talked about this before. Remember our if-then statement. If we have received Christ, if we have been raised with him, if the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, if the message dwells richly in us, then you will be compelled to share 
the gospel. You would be compelled to declare Christ to the world. Now, it would be very easy to maintain an inward focus. That's simple, right? I, me, mine. I just worry about me. But our job is to declare Christ and declare the forgiveness and the salvation that's available to everyone. We cannot forget that there's a world out there that needs the gospel and needs the gospel badly. Jesus knew this. I referenced this before when he was, after he was raised from the dead and before he ascended to heaven in Acts 1, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And yes, Jesus was speaking to his disciples at that time. But friends, we are disciples of Jesus Christ as well. And he's speaking to us today. We are to take the gospel to Lowell, our Jerusalem. We are to take the gospel to northwest Indiana, our Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of, our, of the earth. That's our job. That's our mission. But you know, Jesus knew that it wouldn't be easy. You know, with the world as it is. And the world is hostile to the gospel, right? There's demonic powers out there. This was going on back in Paul's day, but it's happening today as well. False teachers, right? False teachers. What Jesus did is he sent us the Holy Spirit to empower us, to help us, to guide us and protect us along the way. Now, the passage that we're going to focus on this morning is found in Colossians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 2 through 6, so if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to look at just four verses. Four verses, but those four verses are packed with instruction. And this time, Paul focuses not on how we relate to fellow believers or family members or employers, employees. Now, Paul zeroes in on how we relate to an unbelieving world. And he gives us two overarching exhortations, two instructions in these verses. And, and, and we want to live these out as individuals, but we want to live these out here at Hope Church as well. First is this, pray for the spread of the gospel. Pray for the spread of the gospel. The second exhortation is, live for the spread of the gospel. Now, like everything, friends, it all starts with prayer. We cannot underestimate the importance of prayer. It's why we do this uh, monthly prayer gathering on Thursday evening. Prayer is important. If we intend to spread the gospel, and, and we do, that's our mission, right? We need to talk to God before we talk to others. So how do we pray? How do we pray? Well, verse 2 gives us a clue. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So there's three things that we want to take note of here. Three things that we want to do. Number one, we need to be devoted to prayer. English Standard Version says, <clears throat> continue steadfastly in prayer. Other translations say, continue earnestly 
in prayer. The idea being that we are totally committed to prayer. We're earnest in our prayers. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Never give up praying. In this case, praying for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We persist in prayer. We are fervent in our prayers. We are devoted to prayer. Secondly, we are to be watchful in our prayers. And this echoes what we read about in Mark chapter 14. There we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, Jesus knew the importance of prayer. So he took his disciples and when he went off to the Garden of Gethsemane and they took a few of them with and he said, you guys, you guys stay here. And what did he tell them to do? Watch and pray. And Jesus went off by himself and then Jesus came back. What were they doing? They were sleeping. That's not being watchful. Jesus told them to watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. We need to be alert in our prayers, alert in our prayers for the gospel. We need to be watchful. And then Paul tells us to do all this and to be thankful. We're to pray with thanksgiving. Several times already in the book of Colossians, Paul's made it clear that we are to be thankful, right? We are to be thankful for all that God has done for us. Thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf. Thankful that he took our sin debt and he nailed it to the cross and it died with him. We need to be thankful. Remember what verse 17 of chapter 3 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this is how we are to pray. Devoted, watchful, thankful. Now the question becomes, what do we pray for? Well, Paul gives us some clues here. First one is found in verse 3. There he writes this, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul says, pray for opportunity. Pray for a door to open that the gospel might go in. See, we want to recognize that two things happen when we pray. The first is God prepares us to share the gospel, and then God prepares others to receive it. It's our job to expose others to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing that we are able to do. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we expose people to the gospel. It's then up to God, right? It is up to the Holy Spirit then to open their eyes to the truth of Jesus. And that, friends, that should take all the pressure off us. That should take all the pressure off us. It's not up to us. It's not our job to try to convince someone. Matter of fact, you'll never be able to convince them. You'll never be able to talk someone into believing. Only the Holy Spirit can soften someone's heart so that they accept the gospel. But we pray for the opportunity to witness. 
And we have to be intentional about this. We have to be intentional. We have to be aware of our surroundings. We got to know what's going on around us. We can't be so self-absorbed that we miss opportunities to share the gospel. Think about this. You go to the grocery store and you try to pick the shortest line. I do this all the time. And inevitably it becomes the longest line. Right? Because you got someone that, you know, you know, you need a price check on, you know, whatever. Or they can't find their credit card. Or they don't have enough money. They're trying to put stuff back. It's taking forever. So how do you, how do you respond to that? Are you like, come on, I got to go. Right? I mean, that's how we are. That's our nature. Or, should we see this as an opportunity? An opportunity to strike up a conversation with someone behind you or someone in front of you. Hey, I thought this was going to be the shortest line. I always do this. Oh, yeah, me too. Just a little rapport. It could be an opportunity to share the gospel. Paul was in prison. He was in prison, yet he saw this as an opportunity. It was an opportunity to share the good news with his captors. In Philippians 1, he writes that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Friends, pray for opportunity and then be sensitive to those opportunities and recognize those opportunities and then take those opportunities. So we pray for opportunity and then we are to pray for clarity and obedience. Paul says in verse 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. See, when these opportunities present themselves, we pray for clarity. We pray for the right words. Remembering, remembering that it isn't so much what we say, but God, right, the Holy Spirit, working in the hearts of the people we're speaking to. In John chapter 6, Jesus tells us, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Look, If the Holy Spirit is not working in someone's heart, nothing we say is going to sway them. But, but, if the Holy Spirit is working in someone's heart, and we don't know when that is, right? We we can't tell. When the Holy Spirit is working in someone's heart, we don't have to be some great evangelist. We don't have to be Billy Graham to show them the gospel. Keep it simple, man. Keep it simple. We ask God for the clarity and the boldness that we need to do what it is we're called to do. You know how the gospel's transformed you, right? You know what Jesus has done for you. Go out and declare that to others. Share the gospel. So we pray for the spread of the gospel. We also said that we are called to live for the spread of the gospel. 
Verse 5 tells us, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. I like the English Standard Version here. It says, Walk in wisdom toward others, making the best use of the time. And brothers and sisters in Christ, our faith is not meant to be hoarded. It's not meant to be hidden. It's not I, me, mine. Our faith is to be lived out. It is to be shared. It is to be declared. Our light, the light of Jesus that we are called to reflect, we don't hide that light. We let it shine that others might see the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The way we walk, the way we live our lives, that's our witness. We should walk in wisdom. And again, this is not the first time Paul's mentioned wisdom in this letter. We've talked about this before. And we have the wisdom of God when we do two things. I'll give bonus points for anybody that can tell me what those two things are. No? Did I hear someone say it? The wisdom of God dwells in us when we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And the message dwells richly in us. That's where the wisdom comes from. And it's the wisdom of God that allows us to walk in a way that's different than others. And other people notice, right? When you live your life differently, people are going to notice. And they say, wow, they're different. I want to know more about what makes them different. That's a different uniform they're wearing. They don't look like the rest of us. You know, Paul talks about that elsewhere as well. In Titus chapter 2, he writes this. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. And you know, Peter agrees. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he writes, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Walk in the wisdom of Christ, right? Walk in Christ. And make the most of the time that you have. Make the most of it. And let's be honest, we don't have a lot of time on this earth. And we need to make the most of every opportunity that's presented to us. We must not waste the short time that we have to declare Christ to our generation. Life is brief. Life is brief. James tells us that we're a mist that appears for a little while and then poof, we're gone. The psalmist knew this as well. In Psalm 90, Moses wrote about our days passing quickly and then, and then we fly away. In verse 12, he writes this, though. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let that word dwell richly in you. Wisdom. 
So Paul makes it clear that we must walk the walk, right? But guess what? That's not enough. We have to talk the talk. Verse 6, he says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul teaches wisdom in action, but he also teaches wisdom in words. Our conversations, right? Every word that we speak should be filled with grace. Grace, the kind of grace that we receive from Jesus Christ. And that is amazing grace. Is it not? Our words should reflect that grace. Our words should also be, as Paul tells us, seasoned with salt. Now, what do we know about salt? Salt makes things taste better, right? Our words should be delivered in a way that is winsome and flavorful. Now, we know, we know that there will be people who are offended by the gospel. They may not want to hear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They may not want to hear that the wages of sin is death. But it's the truth. And we owe it to them to speak the truth. Yes, people may be offended by the message of Jesus, but they should never, never be offended by the way that we present it. The way we present the gospel should always be grace-filled and seasoned with salt. The other thing that we want to notice about verse 6 is that it speaks of a conversation. Words, right? Conversing. You got to say something. You walk the walk, but you talk the talk. There's going to be questions too, right? If you're talking to somebody about the gospel, you know that there's going to be questions. And I know that Christians are deathly afraid of someone asking them a question that they can't answer. So what? So what? It's not up to you to convince someone. Yes, you want to be prepared. Right? You need to be prepared. But it isn't your eloquence that's going to that's going to bring them to the gospel. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we prepare beforehand. And, and, and we do that by growing in the knowledge of God, right? And that is what we are doing. We are growing in the knowledge of God and knowledge of the gospel. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter tells us that we should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We prepare. We're ready. And then we pray to the Holy Spirit that we may know how to answer everyone. We don't just walk the walk. 
He talked the talk. So is the gospel of salvation just for us? Is it all about me? Is it I, me, mine? No. No. And I think Paul makes it clear here that this is our mission. Our mission is to declare Christ to the world. We pray for the spread of the gospel, and we live for the spread of the gospel. And these four verses here written to the Colossian church, they help us to understand how to do that. So, two challenges. Two challenges for Hope Church today. First, church, first challenge is this. Pray. And I want you to pray every day for the next month. And you might say, you know what? I already pray and I pray. Yeah, I, you know what? I want you to get specific about your prayers. I want you to pray for the spread of of the gospel. For the next month, every day, pray for the spread of the gospel. Pray for the spread of the gospel in Lowell and pray that God would use each one of us as individuals to spread that gospel and pray that he would use Hope Church. Pray that we would be a beacon of light in a dark world. Pray that we would be a place where people can come and grow in the knowledge of God that this would be a training ground, right? A training ground. And then we would go out and share the gospel with the rest of the world. Declare Christ. Pray. 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 Here's the second challenge. Again, over the next month, I want you to invite six people to come to church. Now, I know that everyone will come in contact with six people over the next month. Invite them to church. Strike up a conversation. Look for the opportunity. Take the opportunity. Ask the Holy Spirit for words and boldness and just invite them to church. We've even got some business cards that can help break the ice. We're not going to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ to ourselves. No, we are going to share it. Could you imagine the impact that we could have on this community if we all lived into this? Think of what Hope Church would look like a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. Let's pray for the spread of the gospel. And live for the spread of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you, Lord, for who you are and for what you've done for us. And it is because of that sacrifice that you made on our behalf that we will look different. We will go out and walk the walk. We will talk the talk. And I just pray, Lord, for this, for our family here. I pray for our family that we would be people that would pray for the spread of the gospel and live for the spread of the gospel and take the opportunities 
to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the people around us. We don't know where the Holy Spirit's at work. We don't know where the Holy Spirit's at work, Lord. But we pray for your blessing, and we pray for the Spirit to guide us. May we pray for the spread of the gospel, Lord, and live for the spread of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.